you know, it's not Karachi, it is not East Pakistan, this is not India, this is not Ireland, this is never records, this is never records, this is never records. And certainly me. In the crash. In the booth with never records. Nice. With 13 minutes. Across the ocean, from New York to Liverpool to Derry, we are the ones who believe that through joy we can forever live. You are not listening to Never Records on Blue Gold Radio 99.9 FM. Welcome to episode 29 of Never Records Radio. My name is Ted Riederer, and I'm an artist and musician who lives and works in New York City. From the Mississippi to the River Jordan, I've recorded musicians, poets, historians, motivational speakers, anyone who wants to cut a vinyl record for free in my conceptual art project, Never Records. The Never Records archive continues to grow, this date, there are over 500 recordings from seven cities around the world. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be exploring some of the many projects I've done between Never Records installations. Whether it's an artist friend or a musician I meet, Never Records is a great excuse to encourage the fellowship of shared performance and recorded sound. I'm really excited about today's episode. Every song you're about to hear is very unique. And for two of the tracks, this is probably the only way you can ever listen to them. Unless you're one of the 11 people in the entire world who own the vinyl records. Let me describe this next recording to you. Brian House is a multimedia artist and musician who is based in Providence, Rhode Island. I first met him when he was a bass player in the free jazz punk trio Multitudes. And I quickly discovered that he was a brilliant sound artist. He contacted me one day for help cutting a project he calls the Quotidian Record. Every two hours for an entire year, Brian took GPS readings on his cell phone, to which he then applied musical notes. In his own words, Quotidian Record is a limited edition vinyl recording that features a continuous year of my location tracking data. Each place I visited from home to work, from a friend's apartment to a foreign city, is mapped to a harmonic relationship. One day is one rotation. 365 days is 11 minutes. As the record turns, the markings on the surface indicate both the time as it rotates through every 24 hours and the names of the cities to which I travel. The sound suggests that our habitual patterns have inherent musical qualities and that daily rhythms might form an emergent portrait of an individual. As physical vinyl quotidian record may be collected and fetishized, connecting the value of data today with the history of popular music culture. It provides an expressive, embodied, and even nostalgic alternative to the narratives of classification and control typical of state and corporate data infrastructure. I love how nerdy he gets at the end. But it's really a great listen. Here is Brian House with his track, Quotidian Record.
You are not listening to Never Records. That was an artwork entitled Quotidian Record by the artist and musician Brian House. After a couple of test cuts, we figured out the proper speed and rotation of the vinyl, so that on the outer grooves, one day would equal one turn of the record. I kid you not, when the record was cut, there were 12 visible slivers cut into the vinyl like a pie, representing the 12 GPS recordings per day. I don't think either of us expected that to happen. Let me describe this next recording to you. What you're about to hear is a never-before-released performance by the inimitable Lydia Lunch. There exists only one copy of this recording in the entire world. Lydia and I collaborated on this project for her exhibition, So Real It Hurts, at the gallery How Happening and Arturo Vega Project in 2015. If you're not familiar with her work, Lydia Lunch is perhaps one of the most powerful performers of our time. With her widely influential band, Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, Lydia erupted all over the New York scene in the late 1970s, and she's been performing her no-holds-barred poetry and music ever since. When she performed her work entitled Conspiracy of Women in 2015 at Howell, I was left speechless and inspired. Awestruck, the only phrase I could mutter or think was, All hail Lydia Lunch. So twisted by men, a man, my father, that I became like one. Everything I adored about them, they despised in me. Ruthlessness, arrogance, stubbornness, distance, cruelty. A cold, calculating nature, immune to all but my own reason never able to acknowledge the repercussions of my behavior, oblivious to the brutality and selfishness with which I would lacerate others, selfish and self-centered without remorse, an animal driven by instinct, running on intuition, always searching for the next tasty morsel, unsuspecting prey, gullible, innocent. My goal, rarely to maim or kill, but to satisfy myself. If that meant at the expense of someone else's pride, vanity, or even existence, so be it. My intentions were always true to myself. Days, weeks, months, years spent with nameless faces, losing myself in anonymity, both theirs and my own. I'd make up different characters complete with names to suit my mood. Stella Dora, Lou Harris, Sheila Reeves, Lourdes Vega, Lucy Delgado. I'd stalk bars, clubs, bookstores, public parks, the emergency rooms, seeking to find in lost men a place to lose myself, searching for a pocket of weakness, looking for the sweet spot, a small tear in their psychic fabric to feast upon, to hide inside, a place to disappear in manifesting myself in a multiplicity of personalities which all shared the same goal, to trick the next John into relinquishing his moral, financial, spiritual, or physical guards so that no matter what the outcome, I won. I got what I wanted. Whether it was money, drama, or sex, they always gave the most important things freely, themselves, and what they didn't give, I would take. I've always had a masculine nature, 
Most men can't stand the competition. It drives them crazy, insane, forces them to want to lash out, to dominate, fight, to maintain control, but it doesn't work that way with me. It's either a one-two punch or a fight to the bitter end. The only thing my father ever taught me was to never give up, never give in, put up a struggle, act like a man. And even though as a species, I deplored them, I still found myself both siding with and lashing out against their sex, that battery of emotion which charged my life force, acting as conduit to an elevated state. New York City did not corrupt me. I was drawn to it because I had already been corrupted. By the age of six, my sexual horizon was overstimulated by a father who had no control of his fantasies, natural tendencies, or criminal urges. Like father, like daughter. Before my teenage years, I had already experimented with mescaline, THC, pot, acid, quaaludes, tunnels, valium, and angel dust. I was already an experienced pickpocket, shoplifter, short shift hustler. New York was a giant candy store, meat market, insane asylum for a form and stage. I was surrounded by five million other junkies, addicts, alcoholics, rip-off artists, dreamers, schemers, and unsuspecting marks. New York afforded me the luxury of anonymity. It was the devil's playground. Stoop outside some crappy club in Lower Manhattan. Not stoned enough. Two bucks and a token in my pocket, lipstick and keys. Still squatting with the hippies in Chelsea, looking for a way out. No f clue how. A taxi pulls up, dimmed headlights, jumps the curb and stops a foot or two from my left knee. The driver cocks his head, says, get in. I tell him I'm broke. Says he's not looking for money. I hop in the front seat. He asks if I want to go to Coney Island. It's 1.30 in the morning. I ask what for. Says he's got to make a pickup. I shrug. He lights a joint, slightly passes it over, turns the radio on, singing along with Gene Pitney to town without pity. He looks like a cross between James Cagney and Lon Chaney. I remember a lousy, late-night black-and-white man of a thousand faces. So I'm with another strange this one's got a fetish for evil clowns, killer clowns, alcoholic acrobats, one-armed knife throwers, midgets, trapeze artists, anything to do with the circus. He says being a taxi driver is almost like running away to join the circus every night. Every kind of freak wants to go here, there, anywhere for a short reprieve from the monotonous chaos of their own festered apartments. I'm no different. I'll jump headlong into anyone's car, pry a little into their night, their life, just to forget my own, just to forge a new identity for a few hours, a short reprieve from my own chaos, my own monotony. We're cruising the main drag of Coney Island. All the lights are dimmed except those illuminating a sleazy old man's bar stuck on the ground floor of the massive, tattered subway station. I already know it's our destination. We pull up to a deserted taxi stand and park. The James Cagney lookalike tells me to wait inside the bar. He'll be back in ten minutes. Incredulous, I ask him if he's joking. 
He tells me if I get sick of waiting to take the train back to the city. He flips a token into my lap. I call him inside and slam the door. He pulls off. I take a chance and enter the bar. Filthy white lights, much too bright for this wasteland of aging dreamers. All so drunk, they don't even notice me. Even the bartender's drunk. The place stinks of spilt beer, vomit, piss, and rot. I pretend to study the jukebox. A horrible selection of Merle Haggard, Patsy Cline, George Jones. Of course, Stand By Your Man comes on. And a toothless grandpa sidles up to me. So drunk he can barely focus. His sixth sense tells him I'm female. That's all he needs to know. He asks me politely, shyly, pathetically, if I'd like to dance. Out of sheer perversity, I agree. He places a sweaty hand on my hip. I lightly touch his shoulder. It's moist with toxic runoff. He quietly sings along, silent tears drenching his dirty face, slicing through the deep crevices, the hollowed pockmarks which litter his cheeks. I pretend he's Charles Bukowski. Not a big stretch. For all I know, he too has copious volumes of sad old man musings stuck in a browning folder up at the transient hotel he probably calls home across the street near Nathan's hot dogs. He smells the years of bad food, booze, and self-satisfied sex. I take a twisted pity upon him. I realize it's just one bad turn too many that separates him from me. One rent check too short. One layoff too soon. One too many broken hearts and too much. Booze. I almost want to walk him home, invite myself in, clean his battered old man's body, cut his hair, give him a shave, a manicure, cook the old man breakfast, massage his blistered feet, which reek through holy shoes. Then the song ends. I excuse myself, shaking off my demented fantasy. You are not listening to Never Records. I still get excited when I get a phone call from Lydia Lunch, because she's one of my heroes. And I'm so glad I got to help her with her exhibition. We cut seven never-before-released performances to vinyl, and framed them along with photos taken by Lydia. Each record was an edition one of one. Wu-Tang Clan, eat your heart out. Let me describe this next recording to you. On Halloween in 2010, artists Nicholas Brooks and Jason Loesch hosted a costume party in their studio in Brooklyn. The two-piece band Orphan, featuring Speck Brown and Brendan Majewski, played a blistering set, which I recorded via my mobile studio. I was beginning to explore the idea of doing limited edition hand-cut records to expand the Never Records archive, and our goal was to release an edition of 10 clear 10-inch records, with the inverted graphics to be silkscreen on the back of the vinyl. Nicholas Brooks designed the imagery. Tragically, Brendan took his own life in January of 2011. Brendan was a very talented artist, and he made these brilliant videos where he scoured the internet for video clips, which he then strung together in amazing and innovative ways. Nick, Speck, and I decided to dedicate the edition to Brendan's family, and we donated the proceeds to help pay for the funeral. It was an honor to be a small part of Orphan's history. I was fortunate to see them play at the gallery Ramekin Crucible, which to this day is one of the best shows I've ever seen in New York City.
You are not listening to Never Records Radio. That was the band Orphan, recorded live in Brooklyn in 2010. Be sure to check out their video on YouTube for the song So Depressing, directed by my friend, the talented artist Nicholas Brooks. Thank you for listening to Never Records Radio. I hope you enjoyed these one-of-a-kind recordings. For more information about Never Records, please visit neverrecords.net. As always, I'd like to offer a heartfelt thanks to the people and performers that make Never Records possible. A special thanks goes to Scott Morfitt and Eli Klott at Blue Gold Radio for helping put the show together and to the UW Eau Claire Foundation. You are not listening to Never Records. (laughs) 